You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where each fortnight we chat about dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. Today on the podcast, we're talking about potential new herbicide tolerant pulse varieties, and we're also going to get a summary of how Weed Smart Week in Clare went. I'm joined by my co host, Pete Newman. How are you going, Pete? I'm very well, Jess. How are you going? I'm going good. Now, we've had a big week uh, with We Smart Week last week, so we'll hear about that a bit later in the podcast. But we're at a pretty critical part of the season now. What should growers be thinking about at the moment? Yeah, I guess uh, in terms of the Weed Smart Big Six, Jess, there's two things to think about. One is stopping seed set, so any pasture topping, crop topping, even cutting hay, that is coming up at this time of year. So uh, there's those options. And the other one, of course, is getting ready for harvest weed seed control I know that a lot of people sort of gear up their harvesters at this time of year for their harvest weed seed control. And I know there's been quite a few sales of the seed-destroying mills and uh, and that's still ongoing at the moment. So a fair bit of activity in, in the harvest weed seed control space at the minute, Yes. Yeah, it's pretty exciting to see that uptake of the mill technology and it'll be so interesting to see how it all goes with a lot more people using that technology over the upcoming harvest. Are you excited about the prospect of hearing lots of stories about that, Pete? Yeah, I am, Jess. I sort of feel like we had the big year last year. Last year was the one where we had lots of machines out there and they all went pretty smoothly. So I'm just anticipating hopefully something similar but on, uh, on a bigger scale with more machines. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, we'll get into the podcast today. We're going to be hearing first from Agriculture Victoria's Dr. Gary Rosewarn about research he's been leading into looking at herbicide tolerance in pulses. This area of research is pretty exciting. Our Southern Extension economist, Greg Condon, suggested this topic and it's a topic he's pretty passionate and excited about. Pete, what are your thoughts on uh, these potential opportunities in the future for herbicide tolerant pulses? Yeah, good for a couple of reasons, Jess. One is any herbicide carryover issues. Pulses can get knocked around by herbicide carryover, of course. But also with pulses, we always walk a pretty fine line between crop safety and killing the weeds. And sometimes it's hard to get that just right. So more tolerant pulses uh, means that we don't have to walk a fine line, hopefully. It means that we can use a, a dose that's going to be very safe for the pulses and kill the weeds. So, yeah, very useful on, on two fronts there. And also just giving more diversity, Jess, if we have more herbicide tolerance and more herbicides available, that's a more diverse herbicide options that we have up our sleeves in the mix and rotate strategy. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, shall we take a listen? Yes, let's do it. In this interview, we're catching up with Agriculture Victoria's Dr. Gary Rosewarn about research he's been leading in looking at herbicide tolerance in pulses. As many growers are aware, pulses have limited in-crop herbicide options. However, with the development of breeding techniques involving mutagenesis, pulse germoplasm has been developed with herbicide tolerances. So we're going to find out more. Gary does join us. How are you going, Gary? Yeah, good, thanks. Yep. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Firstly, what does the research into this herbicide tolerances impulses broadly involve? Because there's quite a lot going on in this field. Can you give us a bit of a picture of what's happening? Well, I guess we've been leading the way in Agriculture Victoria through the development of the uh, Group B or imidazolin and tolerances in lentils. And then this work has been taken up uh, more extensively by Sardi in South Australia to develop that sort of tolerance in the other pulse crop, in chickpeas, field peas and in faber beans. And then um, they've extended that to start to look at other chemistries such as metribuzin and lontral okay. tolerance. 
Yeah, really interesting. And there's quite a lot involved. How do you conduct the breeding of these pulses for herbicide tolerance? Well, it's quite interesting. What happens is that uh, when they do the, the mutation work, they get a whole batch of seed and they expose it to a chemical that, that can induce some mutations and then they'll they'll put that seed out in the field and I, I think they go out to like something like 10 hectares or something like that. And then the good thing about um, trying to select for herbicide tolerance is you've got a very positive, um, strong selection method because you just spray the whole field out with the herbicide and anything that lives uh, is living because it's got the herbicide tolerance. So yeah. they would very manually go out over this 10 hectares that's been sprayed out and nearly everything's been killed and try to rescue those one or two plants that may be still surviving. The rescue mission. And they, <laughs> yeah, and they take it from there and, and so then they rescue these plants and, and uh, you know, grow them up and get the seed and, and test it again, obviously. And then it can be passed over to the breeding programs and the breeding the breeders can work work their magic on these primary mutations we call them what happens in the mutation event is that there might be lots of mutations in in the line uh, but only one of the mutations is giving you the herbicide tolerance so the other mutations may actually be detrimental to plant growth mm. but as a as a breeder we can sort of segregate them away and we just focus on the uh, the one that we want so that would the pro that breeding process would in uh, a lot of a lot of crossing into elite cultivars and maybe some back crossing and so forth. And then we've got several selection tools that we can enrich for that trait of interest. And um, the Saudi crew have been really good in de helping develop molecular markers, which we can then apply to our system our breeding program and also developing a glasshouse based screens. so this is like you, you know you make your crosses and you, you, you put out a whole lot of seeds that some might contain the tolerance gene and some don't contain it and then you can uh, expose them to a herbicide and again knock off the ones that don't that you don't want and just move forward with the ones that you do want yeah very cool and gary you've been looking at groups like you mentioned away from emmys to ultimately control weeds in non-competitive crops so you've been looking at metribuzin and lontral tolerance can you just go into a little bit of detail of what you've discovered in this regard yeah so again this is building on that that foundational work from Sardi and, and what happens uh, particularly with with metribuzin but with we also see it with the lontral to a degree as well is that there can be a, a sort of a yield penalty associated with the mutation now we know that the, the metribuzin chemical affects um, photosystem 2 which is critical in photosynthesis involved in, in plant productivity and so the mutations uh, affect this critical uh, a critical uh, protein in that uh, photosystem and that can also affect yield so quite often some of these primary mutations or the, the, the mutations have, have uh, affected productivity of the plant and so there are there are a lot they're a lot sort of weaker and, and they have different plant architecture that's not so suitable for, for cropping. I guess going back to the, the imidazolinone tolerance work, we first released Herald as a lentil variety back in 2011 and that was one of these primary mutations and had all these other mutations going in the background. Then uh, a few years later, Hurricane came out and that was certainly uh, a whole lot better as far as its productivity in the field, but it was still not up there with the best of our uh, conventional lentils, uh, such as Jumbo 2. But we have released a few other uh, IMI lines more recently, and their yield potential is right up there with the best that we've got in the system. So in that case, we have been able to breed around any detrimental effects caused by uh, other mutations, but we're not sure if we're going to be able to do that with the metribucin tolerance or the, or the lontral tolerance, but uh, we're working on that, and hopefully we can come through. Yeah, hopefully. It sounds very promising. And I guess growers and agronomists listening to the podcast will be thinking, you know, what's your timeline for that to potentially come to fruition? Do you have an idea of what, I guess, based on experience, what timeline you would be looking at to get something to market? 
yeah, look, it, it is complicated, and uh, we, we, there's a lot of boxes that we need to tick before we get through this. So, so really, uh, with the Group C and the Group I work, particularly in field peas, they've really, really just identifying a suite of mutation events. So, like they've done the mutation work, and I think with field peas, they've got like up to a hundred mutant lines for for the Group C tolerance, and so we've got to screen through them and work out which one is the best because. We only we can only really commercialise one of these mutation events, yeah. and so the different mutation events may affect plant growth in different ways. So we've got to really try to narrow that down, and we do that through uh, you know crossing and, and reselection and and uh, testing. We also want to test it against a, a whole range of different chemistries within the group uh, within Group C to make sure to see how they stack up against the other chemistries, and and also test them against uh, conventional herbicide regimes that we apply just because. You know, we don't introduce anything that's going to, you know, turn out to be a real, a real issue for for growers that want to use some some of the standard technologies that we've got. And then beyond that, another challenge for the breeding program is the seed bulk up and line testing. So we've got to then go through, you know, in typical breeding program, we might do three or four years of yield testing, and we also have to bulk up seed with in conjunction with commercial partners before it can be sold to the to the growers. And it's at that. Um, initial stages of the seed bulk up and when lines maybe first started going into NVT that we actually have to get APVMA testing done so this yeah. is to ensure that we don't uh, exceed maximum residue limits and that's critical to get any registration on, on labels and that can take another three years as well so look really I don't want to you know sell it short but but realistically the the group C in in uh, in some of these crops is probably about six to eight years off, I would say. Mm. The group C in lentils is a, is a little bit further down the track just because we only found one mutation in that, so we don't have that choice to go and screen a whole lot of sure, stuff through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that it's happening, though, and that there's you know there's something possibly on the horizon in the next few years, so it's, it's, it's helpful to figure out what's going on in that space. So what impact could these herbicide-tolerant varieties have on weed control in farming systems with pulses? Can you touch, talk to that point? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we all know that the, the pulse crops are, and particularly lentils, which is what I'm more involved in, are, are very poor weed competitors. And also there's limited crop options available, in-crop applications are available. Really, all we can use apart from the, the images that have come through now, before that it was just brodal. And I've heard some growers talk about brodal as a bit of a pop gun. It doesn't really do too much. It has a very moderate effect on some of the broadleaf weeds. And, and we've also noticed in our research that, that it can affect lentil growth as well too. So we're really keen to get other, other chemistries out there. We know that the the ME tolerance or the Group B tolerance was a real game changer for lentil production, and that was uh, demonstrated by uh, the uptake of some of the new varieties that we brought out. But we're looking at these uh, new chemistries and see the opportunities to control a different spectrum of weeds and, and offer different rotational options for growers. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. All right, so I had another question, Gary, before we wrap things up. Our Southern Extension agronomist, Greg Condon, mentioned there's increasing prevalence of immune-resistant south thistle and prickly lettuce in his region. What are you looking at in this regard? Yeah, well, well, look, I mean, that, that's where it is critical to really get these other, other Group C chemistries. I mean, we've got turbine and simazine can only be used really in pre-sowing in lentils, so if we get them up to be a real in-crop application, then we've got the opportunity to control these south thistles and prickly lettuces. You know, if they're if they're resistant to the emmys and we can't, and the emmy is no longer effective, we need these other options, and that's why it's it's also critical for for us to assess uh, 
these new mutant lines for their cross-reactivity to the other compounds and try to select that best option for registration and ultimately for those in-crop applications. Okay, excellent. And before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to mention about your work that you think would be helpful for growers and agronomists to know? Oh, well, I don't want to be negative about that time frame, but we are working hard and we are working as a coordinated, we have a coordinated industry effort in conjunction with GRDC. And so we're, we're looking very carefully about how we try to fast track all of this through and, and getting that chemical registration is, is really critical. So there's a lot of steps in the process and we, we want to work closely with SARDI and, and the breeding programs uh, and, and uh, industry generally to make sure that we can get this through the system as effectively and efficiently as possible and, uh, and, and get those, uh, those label ratings uh, you know, put, put onto these uh, different chemistries and so we can apply them in, in crops. For sure. Well, it's really exciting. Thanks for going into a bit of detail about what you're looking at at the moment, Gary. We really appreciate you taking the time. Great. Thanks very much for all that. Thanks so much to Gary Rosewarn there. Pete, up next we're going to be talking about Weed Smart Week in Clare last week and getting a summary from our new extension agronomist, Chris Davey, who's based in South Australia. And the event went off really well, obviously lots of challenges with COVID and the like. But, yeah, really great to be able to do the event. What did you think about how it went, Pete? Obviously we couldn't be there, but we did get some feedback. <laughs> yeah, I got to check out a bit of it online. Pretty amazing, Jess. I mean, I was very jealous that they put together such an amazing couple of days in, and a really good agenda great speakers and gee didn't we throw chris and yana in the deep end there with yeah. COVID and weed smart week and yeah. they hit it out of the park didn't they they yeah. organized a, a great event and excellent feedback and yeah really good information so yeah just so grateful to those to those guys for for running such an awesome event yeah, for sure. And we will be making all the content available on the Weed Smart website in the very near future. We're just waiting to get a few of the presentations back which were filmed. So I know people have been asking that. That is all going to be available. And so just keep an eye on Twitter and make sure you're signed up to the Weed Smart Whip Around blog and we'll let you know when all of that content is available for you to view. Pete, we are going to hear from Chris Davey next. Shall we take a listen? Sure. Today we're going to be catching up with our newly appointed Weed Smart Extension Agronomist for South Australia and Victoria, YP Ag's Chris Davey. He's going to be telling us about how Weed Smart Week in Clare fared. Firstly, Chris, congratulations and welcome to the team. What made you want to be involved with Weed Smart in this role? Oh, thanks, Jess. Yeah, it was uh, an honour to be offered the uh, the position from Weed Smart. I've got a real passion for tackling weed problems, and uh, I guess actively involved in YPAG's R and D program. And I guess YP, uh, as in your peninsula, is a, a hot spot for a lot of grass resistance with ryegrass and brome grass. So uh, I, I feel, you know, it's a, a real opportunity to keep growers actively informed with what's happening in that space and how to, to deal with it. And I guess I also have an enjoyment of, of seeing uh, farmers sort of learn and adopt those new strategies. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on board. Now, Chris, you've already been involved in one major Weed Smart event, and that was Weed Smart Week in Clare last week. How did it all go? 
Oh, look, overall, uh, fantastic. I guess difficult or challenging circumstances with COVID, but, you know, the COVID marshals and the people that were serving the food and drinks uh, were fantastic. And, look, the, the overall uh, three-day events went off very smoothly. It was really well organised and a lot of information to, to come out of it. Yeah, what sort of feedback did you get from some of the attendees? Oh, it's all been positive actually, and you know a lot of a lot of questions. And I guess the highlight for a lot that I talked to, particularly after the the Claire uh, session, was uh, Jiram Jordan uh, and his Bilberry presentation, and also Greg Condon, obviously from Weedsmart, uh, with his strip disc uh, session. Both of them had pre-recorded presentations. And the growers and agronomists uh, that were at Clare on day one found it really uh, quite cool, actually, to have an interactive Zoom meeting with both of them after their presentation. So all the questions that we had from could be answered. Yeah, definitely. The Weedsmart Big Six principles always feature at Weedsmart Week events. What are some of the Big Six which were discussed on the forum day? Yeah, I guess out of the big six, probably the only one that we we didn't touch on too much was the stopping seed sets. Uh, we, we had specific sessions on rotating crops and, and even how pastures have got uh, an important part to play there. Uh, we heard from Peter Butsalis on mixing and rotating chemical modes of action. He gave us a bit of an overview of the resistance status in uh, SA and particularly on the glyphosate front really opened everyone's eyes with an autumn break as to how bad that problem is. I gave a, a presentation on crop competition which is something dear to my heart and yeah, the Harvest Weed Seed Management Panel Session that was run by Yana Dixon and yeah, the, the farmers up the front uh, gave us an overview of all their different uh, experiences with uh, the different either mills or way they're dealing with chaff out the back of their header. Yeah, very cool. Chris, you also got to get out on farms on days two and three. What were some of the approaches to weed control growers were using? Yeah, just as, as an overview, day two was on Northern York Peninsula and day uh, lower and mid north, which was organised and run by Yana. Yeah, some of the highlights, I think, uh, it was just great that the farmers that we visited uh, came prepared with the information to present to the group, as in the how they were tackling, uh, when they did certain things, why they did them. So, yeah, I, I found it particularly pleasing to uh, visit them all, and they're all whether it be different soil types, different weed problems, uh, different rainfall environments, all had you know different issues. So there was no one silver bullet, I'll call it, yeah. that um, everyone had. They all tackled their weeds in different ways, and uh, yeah, it was really good getting a, a feel for the overall area. So, Chris, for some of the listeners who might not be familiar with your region, what are some of the challenges which are faced by growers in your region? We're focusing on weeds, of course. So, wild radish, uh, ryegrass, uh, brine grass would be the, the top three. But by fora, uh, as a broadleaf weed, particularly in the break crops, got a lot of mention during the, the farm visits. And with probably our variability i'll call it in soils so it's, it's quite alkaline over on the 
on the peninsula, whereas acidity is something more specific to the, the mid and lower north. And that was an interesting one uh, that came up several times during the week because a lot of farmers were expressing their concern how certain areas in their paddocks were quite acidic, therefore the crop that wasn't growing properly and therefore particularly ryegrass was just taking off and had a free run in those areas. So they had a free run in those areas, did you say, Chris? Uh, that That's correct, yes. So what they were doing was utilising lime and gypsum, if there was sodicity as well, to better improve the soil health, therefore being able to grow a crop, make it more competitive and get on top of those weedy areas. Yeah, okay, very cool. Chris, just finally, for growers in your region, what's some tips you could share on how they might best utilise the big six in their farming systems? Good question, Jess. Uh, I, I think it would start with a resistance test and, and it doesn't matter if it's a broadleaf weed problem or a grassy weed problem, it's better the devil knows. So I feel that if you know what you're up against, then you can start to put a plan into action. We touched on the acidity. Uh, I, I feel ground truthing the poor areas in, in paddocks finding out why they're poor and then maybe aiming to improve the, the soil health so that the crop is more competitive again. I guess we could come up with a, a compromise between profitability and, and agronomy in weedy paddocks. And when I say that, the classic over the years, particularly on York Peninsula, has been growing barley versus growing lentils. Right. So lentils are far more profitable and economic, but they do have some big weed issues, whereas barley, as we know, very competitive, low risk, and competes with weeds really well. Yeah. I guess off the top of my head, the only other two I'd uh, come up with, we're blessed to have some new mode of action chemicals coming through the pipeline available to growers this year and next year. So implement that in a chemical rotation. And the final one would be like to do your homework on harvest weed seed management and adopt some form of a strategy uh, at harvest time. Chris, and on that, are people in your area more receptive to mill technology and maybe getting one in the very near future? Oh, I think so. We're seeing a big adoption of that, particularly seed terminators and the, the HSDs. Yeah, the rotation, particularly for your peninsula again, of wheat lentils has really brought on a lot of weed issues and a lot of resistance and, uh, yeah, having something like a mill on the back of your, your header is going to be part of the integrated strategy to, to deal with those issues. Chris, and before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I just think yeah, Wheat Smart Week went off exceptionally well and, uh, yeah, just like to thank Yana for her input as well as Sandy, uh, Ruth and Monica uh, up at Clare. Thanks to yourself, Lisa and, and Shannon in Perth and for Greg, Paul and, and Peter's uh, inputs, I think, to organise a national conference, particularly over video calls, is a, a big thing with, with COVID and it came together really, really well. Yeah, congratulations on a great event and we're really happy to have you on board, Chris, so thanks so much. No, thanks, Jess. Looking forward to yeah, participating where I can in SA and Vic in the coming years.
Thank you so much to Chris Davey there and congratulations again for him coming on board the Weed Smart team as our extension agronomist based in South Australia covering Victoria and South Australia. Uh, we're really happy to have him on board. He's so passionate, Pete, much like yourself on Twitter, always getting involved in discussions and sharing information for growers, which is really great to see. So if you're not following Chris on Twitter, make sure you do. He's crop doctor, I think, on Twitter, isn't he, Pete? <laughs> I think so, yeah, and he has great tweets because he's in the field so much and he's just seeing so many interesting things. And, yeah, and from a, a really quite an interesting part of the world, northern, um, northern York Peninsula there, really, yeah, really diverse crops and so on. So, yeah, really great to have Chris on the team. Yeah, definitely. And for the next podcast in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be hearing from some of the farmer presenters at WeSmart Week in Clare, as well as a couple of attendees. And we'll be talking specifically about their farming system. So really going into the detail of what they're using from the big six and how they apply it to their farming system, because obviously there's so much diversity in how you can apply the big six, isn't there, Pete? And so it'll be really good to get into some of the details for those people who obviously couldn't attend WeSmart Week because of COVID. We'll hopefully hear in detail about some of those farming systems that were described that's probably pretty correct right pete like the big six it's got lots of different ways that it can be applied to different farming systems can't it yeah that's right and these growers that turned up to weed smart week just really went through the big six some of them and said yes i do it this way that way that way you know they they gave themselves the the check boxes on which items of the big six they were using and how they implemented them on their farm and so good to hear the sort of sciencey side and the and the background and the, and how the big six works from us, but nothing better to hear uh, how a farmer actually implements it on their farm and how it all fits together. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. I think uh, from what I've heard from the from the South Aussie crew after Weed Smart Week, they were saying, yeah, pretty amazing integration of the big six in, into some farming systems there and quite a few farmers doing all six. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, make sure you're keeping an eye out for that. And, Pete, we've decided to continue on doing the regional update podcast. Keen listeners of the Weed Smart podcast would be familiar that we have introduced this weekly podcast each Monday. We're going to just change it slightly and have it uh, alternating each fortnight. So you'll have a Weed Smart podcast every week that you can listen to now because they've been really popular. So if you do think of someone or you'd like to be involved as a farmer or an agronomist giving a bit of an update on your region, definitely get in touch with us via Twitter just send us a direct message we'd love to have a chat with you and, and find out what's happening in your patch but Pete before we go we do have another great webinar coming up soon and that's called handling weeds in high residue farming systems strip and disc so obviously strip and disc focus that's happening on Friday September 25th and you'll be hearing from Dr Michael Walsh from Sydney University and Weed Smart Southern Extension Agronomist Greg Condon and they're going to be talking about weed challenges in strip and disc systems Systems. Uh, so that's a really interesting topic, isn't it, Pete? It's still one of those topics we've talked about quite a bit over the last few years, but yeah, it's still lots to learn and uh, consider, especially in those high residue farming systems, isn't it? Yeah, interesting from a couple of points of view, Jess. Strip and disc provides some challenges because our pre-emergent herbicides, you know, have a bit of trouble hitting the ground. So uh, we've got to tackle our weeds with different tools like crop competition, double break crops, crop topping, and so on, as well as our pre-EMs to some degree. But also super interesting in terms of can stripper fronts capture weed seeds? Spoiler alert, Jess, they can. 
Um, some great work by Mike Walsh and John Broster. I'll let them tell us all about it in a couple of weeks. But yeah, we had a strip and disc field walk up here and I'd only been there an hour and I'd been asked that question five times <laughs> in the first hour. Can uh, stripper fronts capture weed seeds? Obviously something people are really keen on hearing. So I'm, I'm sure the growers will um, really benefit from the info that's presented in the webinar in a couple of weeks. Definitely. I'll put the link for you to register. Make sure you do register because it's easier to forget these things. You sort of hear about it and then it's gone. So if you register as soon as you're hearing about it now on the podcast notes, you can find the link. Go and register and make sure you come along. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and also sign up for our monthly blog, The Weed Smart with Round, so you won't ever miss any of our content because we've got lots of articles that are going up on the Weed Smart website as well that are in, have lots of important information around the Weed Smart Big Six for you to engage with as well. So make sure you're checking that out thanks so much pete and we'll catch you in a couple of weeks time yeah cheers to this we'll see you then